0: Kia ora and welcome to the last Tech Bytes for 2023 and this month we're talking with uh, Vic McClellan who is the CEO of uh, IT Professionals and the co-chair of DECA. Uh, I'm Craig Young, the CEO of Ends. I hope you enjoy this Tech Bytes. Kia ora and welcome to this month's Tech Bytes. I cannot believe we're into December. The year has raced by. And uh, you know 2023 again is different than 2022. And we've been able to do more with it um but I'm here today talking to Vic, a uh, good colleague of mine I have known for a while we worked together in DECA. she's now the CEO at IG professionals which we're going to talk ask her about that in a moment. but kia ora, Vic, uh, you're a very busy woman with all the things you have in hand over the year apart from your day job but do you mind introducing yourself a little and what your <laughs> day job is right now? Kia ora Craig and thanks for
1: having me I really appreciate it and I love being on someone else's podcast that's <laughs> <laughs> really cool um so kia ora koutou ko Victoria MacLennan toko Wigama, but please call me fic everyone does so my day job or my main job is the CEO of IT Professionals which is the industry peak body for those who work in the digital technology industry. And IT professionals is over 60 years old. It was formed as the New Zealand Computer Society. And I imagine that was a bunch of men, I know it was men because I've read the minutes of the first meeting, sitting around in, the, in a room going, we all work with these newfangled computer things. We should be talking to each other and form some kind of club, which is what they did back then. You, you asked what that involves, yeah. um, which is a really complex question. It's a really diverse role and includes everything from working with members to help them realise their career aspirations through the government advocacy, working with colleagues like yourself working across the education system to ensure there's a focus on digital technology education, which I'm going to talk about a bit more later, and try and help reduce some of the fragmentation that's happening in the kind of the careers, skills and talent space in digital tech. So it's really diverse. And as CEO, you know, you're the finance manager, you're the HR manager, all of those other things as well. So um of a small not-for-profit that runs on the smell of an oily rag, just like yours does, so you know all about that, Craig. But I wear a couple of other hats. Um, I'm co-chair of DECA, the Digital Equity Coalition Aotearoa. I'm the chair of the Standards Approval Board. I'm the chair of Digital Future Aotearoa, another fabulous charity in the digital equity space. And there are probably other things, and I still own some tech companies, and I have shares and others. Um, but we we'll, we need to move on to
0: other questions. Yes. Well, I like guess it's, it's fascinating you talk about the computer society starting with a bunch of men in a room because I mean two hands in nineteen eighty-five started pretty much the same. Um, because I've read the minutes, seen the photos, and um yeah, it, it was and it was a, a bunch of guys in Wellington basically sitting down and going, We're getting these new digital technology uh, telecommunication services, what are we doing with them? So yeah, and um then became an advocacy group. But Which sort of does lead me on to the next question I've got for you, which is, you know, if we go back to the beginning of your career, as a young woman, um, sorry, sorry, as a younger woman, what encouragement (laughs) did you get to go into technology and what got you started in that space?
1: So... I got no real encouragement per se. I didn't know what tech was, and I totally fell into it. So to tell you a little bit about my potted history, I dropped out of school in the seventh form because I was really bored, enrolled at Nelson Polytechnic to study accounting because I was a bit too young to leave home at that stage. I think I was 16. Um, And while I was there, I worked part-time managing one of my parents' fast food joints that they had a couple in. Nelson and um, work nights and then I got another part-time job working for a company who service scales and slices and cash registers and other equipment for businesses as an office filing clerk basically just an office admin part-time job and when my studies finished they offered me a full-time job in office admin but within three months of working there I was out calibrating scales like I would go into the freezing works um, when, with these With all the smells that come with it and all of the blood and gore and guts and everything that comes with it. And I'd be out there with the weights and measures people in Nelson, which is just such a lovely symbiotic story now that I chair standards. Um, You know, that was my introduction to standards really early in my career and calibrating the scales in the freezing works or in the supermarkets. And then within six months of working there, I was programming FPOS machines, some of the first ones that were deployed in the country, and then installing some of the first supermarket scanners in Aotearoa as well. And all of that culminated in me driving around the South Island with a bootload of FPOS machines destined for pubs, who had this tendency to do, to destroy them with a pint of beer over their FPOS machine, and every couple of weeks they'd need a replacement. And I'd drive around every few weeks and install and program and configure these Epipos machines. Um, all of that said, my father did buy us a, a Commodore 64 for my brother and I, so we had been exposed to technology and computers from a really, you know, fairly young age, and I think that's why I was just naturally um, inclined to, to be able to pick these things up in that very first job and turn my hand to tech. So, yeah, it was the a, a story many people tell. I fell into it. I didn't study it. I didn't go into tech by design.
0: I was just thinking, you must have been a Flash family because you had a Commodore 64 because we, <laughs> we had a Vic 20 with, um, what, 1K of RAM and you had to get wow. you know, another one to plug in the back. <laughs> yeah, those were the days, right? Um, So look, <laughs> let's, let's stay with us because, um, you know, what was it like then, when you got into the tech sector a bit more, um, as a young woman working in that sector, was it like working in that environment?
1: It was really tough. It was it, emotionally, it was a real roller coaster as a young woman. Um, I've told stories before when I speak to groups of women about um a pay parity situation I got into that I had to really fight, and I was lucky to have my male colleagues alongside me, um, helping me with that fight to get pay equity with with my team who were doing exactly the same job and faced with all of the prejudices of, you know, they're the breadwinners. Well, I was the breadwinner for my far now at that point as well. But I remember a couple of years into my career, I landed this amazing job when I was on my OE in the UK and I didn't know it was an amazing job, but now when I look back, it's like, oh my God. And I was working on programming a Linux kernel um, and I landed that job because I could touch type. Thank you very much, Nelson College for Girls, for forcing me to do that, and I could talk to people. So I worked in a long room of chain-smoking young men who all had beards and ponytails. It was so cliche now when I got back on it, and they were chain-smoking and taught me how to drink black coffee, and I think I was drinking about seven black coffees a day. So, you know, just all the stereotypes of the early 1990s. But my job was to be our human interface with the other teams and our customers. And I wasn't the best programmer by far, but I could type faster and more accurately than any of my colleagues. And they were lovely and they supported me, but I really struggled in that environment being the only woman. And when I reflect back, I didn't work with another woman as my peer or in my team for about 10 years. I did encounter women in management roles who didn't treat me well or provide support. So I made it a real quest for myself when I was in my 20s to become a leader who could support and nurture women in the industry. And I've mentored many, many women over the years who really struggle with the bro culture, the unconscious, unconscious bias that place barriers in their way. So that those formative years really shaped the rest of my career.
0: Okay. Well, so what does the journey look like that takes you from that job right through to where you are mm-hmm. now? I mean, you know, I've I've known you for a number of years. You've got your you've had your well, you still own some of your own companies. So you did startups. Um, you've gone through a wide range. You've, you know, you helped with NZ Rise, now you're at ITP. You're a voice and a person that people in government come to so can you talk us through some of the important decision points you made along that way? Yeah so I kind of talk about my career
1: like it was in chapters in my 20s I was hands-on tools and learning about the importance of people and teamwork and customer success in my 30s I moved into leadership and management and climbed the corporate ladder which once I got there it totally burnt me out and I hated it and turned me into someone I didn't like So that was a really important decision point, I guess, that I didn't want to be that person. Um, In my 40s, I was really focused on starting and growing businesses, as you've said, very focused in the commercial space. Um, But then in my later 40s, I started to have my one hand in the kind of not-for-profit space, volunteering my time for governance roles. And that's where I got really involved in NZ Rise because as a woman in business, I walked into this environment where, I found that men in business didn't want to share and they didn't want to collaborate and they didn't want to help me. I was new to this. I was starting something up, which I've now grown into a, a great wee profitable company, being Optimal BI. And, um, and and I really struggled to find a peer group. And I met some guys who were just forming this thing called NZ Rise and that's how I got involved there because it gave me a peer group and then that moved into kind of the government advocacy space. And we were very focused on um, on getting real, um, a level playing field for New Zealand-owned companies when selling into government. And then now I'm in my 50s, I'm 53, and it's been a complete change again. And there was a deliberate decision point that I made to do this. And I'm focused now on giving back, on changing the face of our industry, and on closing the digital divide. So I still own shares and businesses, and I have, I have loads of, Many unrealized share options in startups that I've done governance and advisory for that will never come to anything, sadly. But my time is spent in the not for profit and advocacy world now. And this chapter for me is fairly new, and I don't know what's going to come next. And I also don't really know what the decision process I will go through to make that change, but certainly moving from commercial into how do I give back? How do I, how do I um, channel all of my love of tech, my experience with tech into things that can ensure that everyone in Aotearoa can realise their potential and help our economy as a whole? I realised I was better off doing that in this broader kind of way than, um, than, than growing companies and employing people.
0: It's so nice to hear you talk about it as making a positive, you know, making a positive decision to do that. I mean, I think that's so important. Um, you know, I work for, you. same with you, not-for-profit. Um, I always thought I'd work for not-for-profit. I didn't realise it'd be in the tech area, which is, you know, an area I love anyway. So sort of combine those two things. But I feel like I fell into it, but um, I'm, I'm loving it too. So, and I'm not sure about that next decision. Now look, um, I do want, you know, I do ask some big questions in the, in the, in these sessions as well, not just around you as an individual, but coming back to some of those specific issues that we know are in the tech industry at the moment, and ones we're very keen to work on, um, let's start with that talent side because you are the IT professionals, you are the, the individuals that work in, in, the, organi- in the in the organisations. You know, we know from all sorts of research, we have an issue around lack of skilled staff, not enough women, not enough Maori and Pacifica. Um, or e- any ethnicity, really, what sort of things do you think we as individuals can do to improve that situation?
1: Yeah, I get asked this a, a lot. So I kind of have a standard three areas that I suggest people can focus on. One is in your own workplace. We as individuals can all be the change. We can all be part of creating a culture of belonging so that anyone who doesn't look like me or doesn't look like you, Craig, can um, or doesn't look like the rest of the majority of the tech part of that organisation can find their place working there Mm. and that takes courage that means you need to speak up when you see others are being ignored or talked over so if you're in your stand-up I've said to some young men recently if you stand up in the in the morning and the two young women that you've got on your team haven't had an opportunity to speak you need to call that out and ensure that they actually do you know, are afforded those opportunities. You need to look for gender and other bias and action and call it out. And that takes courage. It's quite challenging for some people, and be really supportive and encourage your peers to do the same. There is nothing more heartbreaking than a company attracting a fabulous wahine maori into their organisation but that company doesn't reform their bro culture and that, that fabulous Wahine Māori doesn't find a place that she belongs and so she leaves. So that's the first thing, just be part of the change. The second thing everyone can do is become a mentor. No matter where you are in your career, there will be people you can support who are trying to walk in your shoes, who are, who are either at your same level but wanting to transition into a role like yours or at a different level in their career IT professionals members can participate in a mentoring program that we run and we have a specific focus now on helping women in the industry find other women to mentor them. But everyone can be a mentor, so look for opportunities to mentor others and give back that way. And then the third thing, the third category I talk about that we as individuals can do is really encourage our employers, and if there are employers listening to this, this is for you, um, to really walk the talk. creating entry-level roles in their organisations, partnering with different programmes who are focused on diversity to help recruit into those entry-level roles and put support structures in place so that when someone does join your organisation, like that fabulous Wahino Māori I was speaking of earlier, they're really well supported. So that means teaching your seniors to become um, mentors and coaches for, for new people who come in. And... And the other thing as part of that is encourage continuous improvement that will help modify your culture. Culture's hard to change. You can't change it overnight. It takes lots of small changes. So I'm also a big fan of calling out sacred cows. So if there are things in your culture that are the way they've always been, um, staff collaborating on identifying those sacred cows and calling them out and affecting and change um and empowering your staff to do that is really important. So those are things that we can all do as individuals.
0: Okay, let's let's take it out a little step, you know, to our organizations. Um, you know, we're a membership organizations, so we're dry you know, we 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 are trying to meet the needs of our members, but we do want to take a lead on some things as well. So what can organizations like ours, OTP, two ends, do in this the same space around these issues around the tech industry and and inclusivity and growth of talent?
1: So I think we should be held to a different standard and our roles are really, really critical and really important for supporting young people into our industry, supporting people who don't look like us into our industry. Um, And it breaks my heart really, Craig, that I hear stories from young women who are experiencing the same experiences that I had 30 years ago coming into the workforce And that is really heartbreaking. And we have a role to play in helping encourage and educate employers to be part of that change. The second thing I think is really important for us as industry bodies is digital technology is really immature, um, and it's immature for lots of reasons. One is there's no governing legislation to start with, so there's nothing to compel us to mature like engineers and accountants and medical professionals. It's relatively new being 65 years old, which compared with health or construction or even electricity, is a relatively new industry. But I see all of this as excuses. I think it's changing so rapidly every day that we really need to to mature. So our organisations have a real role in advocating for that maturity change and helping everyone kind of open their eyes to... um, to to looking at the way that we as an industry behave and perform differently. And to do that, we need to collaborate. So industry groups, by their nature, are under a lot of pressure um, to support their members' agendas and interests. So we have a tendency to go off and do our own thing, and it's just natural. And there are many opportunities for us to connect up and deliberately map out our programs to align, just like you and I are doing right now around aligning Flint in the IT Professional Student Member Programme. So how can we create a great experience for someone as they come out of their higher education into the Flint program to be supported? Um, And, you know, while I think about alignment with our organizations, getting alignment of our messaging is the other thing we need to do more, and I know we've been doing a bit more of that this year. Um, But someone once pointed out to me that the New Zealand wine industry does this really well. There are hundreds of wine producers but they export, advocate, and position their industry under one kind of New Zealand wine banner and one set of New Zealand wine messaging. And we need to do the same for mm. digital tech because at the moment I think it's just too fragmented and a bit too confusing. And that probably comes down to that maturity issue. But yeah, those are kind of the things I think we need to focus on together. Cool. I mean, yeah, so, so, so important, but
0: let's just you know, keep going down this track to things we're working together on. So let's talk digital equity in general. Again, you know, for two ends again, it's one of our top six key issues that we've, you know, we've shared with um, government and particularly this new one. You know, we know from all our mahi together that there's, we have several groups of people that are struggling to get online. I had a phone call last week from someone who's um, in Matamata working with elderly people and just so passionate about what they're doing. And I didn't even know they were there. So you know great to be able to engage with them but you know there are several groups of people struggling to get online tell me a little bit about what you're doing and and what you're involved with that's going to make an impact in this space well
1: in lockdown as you know a group of us including you found ourselves on calls all day long talking to community groups teachers and others who couldn't reach their communities or students which really shone a light on the digital divide and and you know that 2020 change I thought, great, we're actually really going to move forward. From there, DECA was born, and I spent a great deal of my time in this space, um, which is focused on supporting the community who are out there trying to close the digital divide, like your person in matter matter. And we're trying to create a healthy backbone for everyone who's out there doing that, provide an Aotearoa context-based set of resources and research that organisations can use, their collective voice into government and parliament, Um, and into corporates and right now we have a whole lot of initiatives that I'm involved in in different ways Um, like the affordable connectivity research that you're leading Craig which is just going to be the first piece of what is affordable connectivity and Aotearoa research that's grounded here. Um, There's a bunch of feedback that we've been collecting from community groups around census and giving feedback the stats about census and the digital divide. We're also collecting feedback um, across the community and front-facing workers that we're going to give to big businesses like banks and telcos and the government on the impact of their services moving online for communities. And there's a really a wide range of other initiatives in the DECA space that I'm involved with. And I see my role as part of the kaitiaki of just ensuring that the team can do this Mahi, direct the traffic, do all of the things that need to be done behind the scenes and and kind of just smooth the um, smooth the waters and smooth processes to enable enable the space to move because 20% of New Zealanders are on the other side of that digital divide. And you know what what can the government do is a really good question here. I would say more than they can do now. Um, we've had successive governments who acknowledge this problem and acknowledge through initiatives like what the Productivity Commission produces that we need to do something about it, but actually don't take effective action. And so there's it's a really complex challenge of what government can do. But the first thing I would say and something that I'm actively working on with government is reduce the fragmentation of activity and effort. I call the government um, support for the digital equity space a lolly scramble, lots of different tiny funds, nothing that's really going to shift the needle. So reducing that fragmentation generally, and it's hard to move the system of government as we both know, but um, that's a space that I can also play and support is trying to get that real clarity of messaging for government and for ministers
0: yeah yeah all right I realize you're an incredibly busy woman so let's get to the last question (laughs) let's just go big picture to end up with you're a digital leader in Aotearoa Uh, what big ideas should a country like ours focus on if we want to move up that global digital competitive ladder
1: yeah and you know when the technology has been created elsewhere and not here we're at the arse end of the world we really need to do a geared shift here you know um i think there's a couple of things we need to do one is our education system we need to take digital technology education more seriously stop bundling dt as it's called um into the wider technology space alongside woodworking and metalworking um because it languishes there at school level invest in more dt teachers but really importantly, this is the most important thing we need to do, is upskill and train all of our teachers so they become digital natives and they can be passing that support and information on to those in their classroom. At the vocational and tertiary levels, it's just too confusing and fragmented. I speak to groups of high school kids all the time. And they're like, which course should I do? It's impossible to navigate right now. There are too many too many diplomas, too many degrees on offer. Um, we need to get serious and we need to make it really easy for people to learn digital technology at a higher education. We also need to close the digital divide, as we've just discussed. We can't afford for 20% of our nation to be unable to participate effectively in a modern world. Another one that we haven't touched on today that I'll just mention briefly is we've got to improve our productivity as a nation through the use of digital technology. The Productivity Commission has been telling us this. For years and years, so Paul Callaghan told us this years ago that we've got to get off the grass. Now's the time to take it seriously. Programs like Digital Boost are great, but the uptake is still relatively low when you look across SMEs. And SMEs really struggle in their legacy operating models and they need help to make a step change so that we as a nation can be digitally more competitive as well. And then the last thing, which I guess is my main hobby horse, we need to grow our own talent the benefit to our economy if we can lift more of our population into higher-wage careers like digital tech is so well documented. We need to find a way to um, complement serious talent creation with immigration. Both need to exist, but it's so easy for employers to look for a perfectly formed senior and go offshore and import them Whereas there's no real support for employers in digital technology to invest in or know how to grow their own capability like there is in construction and other industries where there are real, really simple and focused government supported pathways into the industries. So that's my starter shopping list. I won't get into access to capital and all of that other stuff if we can get the education system, the talent system, closing the digital divide and improving productivity. We're in a much better place than we are right now.
0: Well, look, it's been a real pleasure um, and privilege to be talking to you, Vic, and taking some time out of your really busy day. Um, always love spending time with you and, and talking through these things, you know, with, trying to find a way through um look before i finish up any last comments or thoughts you want to share that perhaps you haven't got out there yet
1: no i speak fast so i said a lot in a short space of time as you know (laughs) um everyone can make a difference in this space and if you don't know where to get started just contact me vic at itp.nz or um Victoria at Digital Future, uh, yeah, digitalfuture.nz I must get that URL changed to DFA to make it short and sweet. Um, yeah, feel free to reach out. And I can connect people with different programs that they can get involved with, but everyone's got capacity to do something, and I'd just like to encourage everyone to find something. You work in tech, but you can still make a massive difference to a small community or a person in Matter who needs help reaching their, their community as well. So... Get involved.
0: Well, thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for being part of Tech Bites this year. We're, this is the last one there, this December issue. We will be back. We're back on the first Friday of February with um, a young Wahini who uh, has been part of our Flint team and then has gone off to uh, be an entrepreneur and has started her own AI business, she has funding. I'm going to talk to her a little bit about her journey and where she sees. And maybe we'll ask her how she feels things are in the industry uh today compared to what the stories we've just heard from vic so thank you everyone again have a great rest of the month enjoy your christmas and your break over the new year and we'll see you back with tech bites next year so mate